Welcome everyone to the Inspired Jewish Woman podcast, a place to come together to meet other passionate Jewish women from around the globe. We here value unity and we come together from different backgrounds, places and stages in life. We focus on what unites us being a Jewish woman. We believe that every woman has a beautiful and unique light to shine to our community and to the world. In these podcast interviews, we find the light in others and we learn from everyone. These are the topics that matter most to you and empower you to be the inspired Jewish woman that you want to be. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another installment of our Inspired Jewish Women interview podcast. Today, I have a dear friend with me, Haley Hurlitz. Hi, Haley. Hi, thanks for having me. We've been wanting to bring this very special segment to our community of listeners because I know, I just know that there are some people that are going to benefit so much from hearing your story, and it might help them along their journey. So Haley is a friend that moved recently to Portland to work for Nike. She's a senior branch manager over here in Nike. She moved here from South Africa. How many years ago? Is it two? Three? Okay, yeah. so pretty recent implant over here. Her and her daughter and her mother live here in our community and add so much light over here in so many ways. We're so blessed to have you. Thanks, Eve. It's been definitely a whirlwind and a very big culture shock coming from South Africa, but we've really enjoyed our time in Portland. Not so much the winter weather, but everything else has been really good for us as a little family unit. Wow. And I'm so excited for the next chapter of your journey as you guys move on to living your dream and making Aliyah, where you have your family, so much family waiting for you in Israel. We can't wait to see what's going to happen next for you guys. Only good things. Thank you. Thank you. It's been, we're aiming to be in Israel in the next couple of months. COVID has put, made things a little bit slower to get arranged, but we're all on track and hopefully it's just going to be a smooth process and soon we'll be in Israel. Amen. You know, there's this saying about living in Israel that, you don't get Israel without Yisurin, without hardships, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And I think, you know, once you get through the turbulence, it's going to be really, really nice for you guys. So please, God, we should just have good things. Okay, so we're going to jump right in because this topic is something that I'm really excited for you to share about. It's about your journey to motherhood. And I think this is something that every woman could relate to, whether they are a mother or not yet or they don't want to be a mother, or they're aspiring to, wherever they're at along this spectrum, it's something as a woman, there's this innate pull towards, or this struggle, so to speak. Should I? Shouldn't I? Just, it's inborn. And that's actually why in the Torah, there's only a commandment for the man to have children. Like the pru or vu, have children and be fruitful and multiply. That's an obligation for every man. But there's no obligation for the woman because I don't think we're obligated just because we don't need to be obligated. It's something that we want to do so badly. So when things weren't working out so smoothly for you and you weren't finding your marriage partner and it wasn't happening for you, and you're going to share a little bit more about why you felt so much pressure to have this child, this beautiful child that you have. Your daughter is, she's something special. 
it's so clear to me that you had to go through all the obstacles that you went through to bring her to this world. So let's just jump right in. Let's share. I'd love to hear your story, your process, and let's just start. So I think just for your listeners who don't know, I'm from South Africa. And for anyone who doesn't know much about being Jewish in South Africa, it is very different to being Jewish in the USA. In South Africa, the Jewish population is one huge, amazing community. A lot of people aren't religious or aren't orthodox, but we are very, very traditional and the traditions are inbred in us. So for example, when I was living in South Africa, I was no means Shomrei Shabbat or super observant, but I had a strictly kosher home because that's what you did. I also went to synagogue or shul every Friday night and had a Shabbat dinner because that's what you did. And that's how I grew up with these big family events and big Shabbat dinners and being so proudly Jewish. I think it's important to just be aware that most of the South African Jews came out of Europe and they escaped the Holocaust. So I think that tradition was very important to continue and to carry on. And that is the way I was brought up in a very strictly kosher home, very traditional but not necessarily observant. Almost all Jews go to a Jewish school, even Jewish high schools. Yes. Sorry to cut you off, but even in a public school system, when I was in like elementary school, they had cheder lessons before school and after school at the public school. My public school was 99% Jewish. So it had that very much cultural Jewish situation and the Jewish kids had cheder and that's just the way it was. Now, I think in the last probably like 10 or 12 years, public schools are not great. So everyone's just migrating to a Jewish day school, which starts from nursery and goes right up until the end of school. And the mandate is every Jewish child will get a Jewish education, whether you can pay, can't pay, you get it. And I think it's something that's inbred in the Jewish population. And everyone like is proudly Jewish, wants to do the right thing. There are lots of shuls, synagogues, shirim, to bring in people that aren't necessarily observant. But everyone is seen to be doing more and being active and being part of the community, part of the fundraising, part of whatever's going on. South Africa has also got its own Hatsola, which is their own ambulance system and paramedics, just so we look after ourselves. And I think that's pretty important to note because I think that definitely defines who I am as a person. And definitely defines what I wanted for my life. And I think being part of this very big, inclusive Jewish community, I wanted to be a mother. Like I've always wanted to be a mother, but that pull became like really, I could not ignore it any longer. And for me, and I know it may sound very random because I'm sitting here in a sweater and jeans and I'm not observant. But for me, I wanted two things. I wanted to light Shabbat candles with my daughter every week. And I wanted to walk into shore on one of the Chagim carrying my baby. Like that was how I saw myself and that was what I wanted. And knowing that my biological clock was ticking and I wasn't getting any younger, I wasn't married, I wasn't meeting the person who I wanted to be married to, I had a consultation with a fertility clinic and they were like, your eggs are not in a great spot. We can definitely get you pregnant now, but we wouldn't be comfortable freezing eggs. 
So I think you need to think about it. And my doctor was actually a Jewish man who has one of the biggest fertility clinics in South Africa. He became like an extra Zayda to me. He was very traditional from the community, knew my background, knew which shul I went to. And he was like, I would recommend you speak to your rabbi and just get to put yourself at ease. And I think that was a big thing for me. Like, I may not be religious. I may not be observant, but I didn't want to do the wrong thing. I didn't want my child to be like, oh, is she Jewish? Isn't she Jewish? Maybe she's Jewish. I needed to know that I needed to do the right thing. And with the help of my doctor, my extra Zayda, who was just Uh amazing, I had a consultation with my rabbi, who was a Chabad rabbi. And he was like, to be honest, you are not doing anything wrong. I think you're doing the right thing. Halachically, nothing is wrong. And my advice to you is to choose non-Jewish sperm. Mm -hmm. And the reason being is that, A, it kind of um, adds to our gene pool. And secondly, there's less risk of somebody meeting their brother's cousin on a rail trip or a heritage trip or a school trip. And I think Jews have a very strange way of all connecting and connecting the dots. And he just said, his view, it's safer to just use non-Jewish sperm. You are the mother. Your baby will be Jewish. And I took his advice. And I think just to add that my brother is a very observant, Bell's Hasidic rabbi. And the fact that he also didn't have any problem from a halakhic point of view, I think gave me like the green light and the almost the phew, I can do this and I'm not doing anything wrong and I can go about making sure that my dream became a reality. Okay, so I want to jump in here. Even hearing your story, I feel like my heart is starting to you know, beat really fast. I'm getting excited for you because here you are, this single woman living with your mom. Were you living with your mom at the yeah. time? Okay, having this big dream that almost felt unattainable, like unreachable, like how are you going to make it happen? How many years are you dating and searching for Mr. Right? And here you are, the doctors are telling you your time is numbered. You're not going to be able to have a baby much. It's now or never. How old are you, first of all, at this point? 44. Wow. So even without the doctors telling you, you knew that it's now or never, right? You knew like, you know, nowadays technology is amazing. The medical field is incredible. But at 44, you're high risk, right? You just are. I don't really say that anymore, but yeah. Okay. I thought, I thought even after 40, you would be like considered. Not according to the fertility clinic. So it's maybe different. And people probably could with all the help and intervention have give birth to a healthy child probably until 50, right? Mm. Nowadays. But we know that it becomes more and more narrow as the years go on to make sure that that happens in a healthy way. Yeah, exactly. Tell me like, what were you feeling at this moment? To be honest, I'm a very single-minded person. When I want to do something, I do something and I just go. So I literally came back from that doctor's appointment, spoke to my family, spoke to my mom, and it was like, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And it was very scary. It's a very emotional process. It's a crazy process to go through, like on your own. I'm grateful for my group of friends, my girls, who literally knew everything that I was doing and supported me every single step of the way. These are lifelong childhood friendships and we've been friends for our whole lives. So they were the ones that were coming with me to my appointments, coming with me to every single appointment, 
when I was having the processors who were saying to Hillem with me, because we all very traditional and that's what Jewish women do. When something needs to happen, you say to Hillem. And, and I think it's just important to note that it's scary and it's a process and the medication that you go on is not easy and it's not great and you don't feel good and you feel like completely out of control on it, but it's something that you just need to do. Wow. So basically you're saying that your support system, your friends and your spiritual leaders, having your brother and your rabbi standing with you saying, green light, go ahead. That's what you needed. As hard as it was, your hormones raging, all the medications you're putting into your system, you were just, you felt good enough, strong enough with all that support to move forward into this. So I think this, I think being on the medications, you're going to have ups and downs, like it flow, ebbs and flows. But I think if you keep your eye on the prize, it becomes worthwhile. You've got to see something. So I saw myself lighting candles with my daughter or walking into shore with my child. I saw like a little baby in my arms and that's what I wanted. And that's what I needed for myself and to be true to what I needed and not to worry about, I think, sometimes social norms can make people think that there's only one way to do things. And I think it's not always the only way to do things. I think it's important that people don't need to follow social norms all the time because sometimes what's waiting for you, everyone's journey is different. And to surround yourself with people who are inclusive and supportive and who care about you and don't only look at the differences is something that makes things easier to do. So I remember I had three rounds of IVF. The first round did not take and I was a mess. I fell apart completely to the point that I actually felt that I could not breathe. I was like, (laughs) and now, and now, and now. And I just had to like, just like calm myself down a bit. And then I started the second round. And before we did the implantation, I started bleeding. So we had to cancel that. And in speaking to my doctor, I had a couple of work trips that were coming up. And he said to me, right, go on your trips. When you come back, we're going to start immediately. He said, just like, don't even think about it. So I did one in April, one in July, which is pretty quick. And then I was going away until from like three or four weeks. And I was arriving back on the 1st of November. And he was like, okay, we're going to start on the 1st of November. And I was like, okay, cool. And something was different about that third one. Something was different. I went through the process. I had my um, the embryo put back and I felt pregnant. Yeah. I felt pregnant the minute that embryo was back. You knew it. I knew it. And two weeks later, I had the blood test that confirmed that I was pregnant. Wow. And what was that moment like for you? So I think I'll never forget the first one. I was very optimistic and I went to the doctor's office, had the blood test, went into my office. I needed to keep my mind occupied. I had a few hours to go. And when she told me I wasn't pregnant, I fell apart. But this time was different. And I felt that I knew that I was. But even though I knew that I was, I knew that I had to do something in that break. And I it was the day before a public holiday in South Africa. 
and the night after a friend of mine's wedding and I'd taken a day's leave from work. But when I woke up in the morning and I was going for my blood test, I thought I actually have to go to work. I have to do something. And I walked into work and my boss was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, no, I've just got a few things to do. And he was like, okay, you're crazy, but okay. And I walked into my cubicle and when the doctor phoned me to say that I was pregnant, I just remember like I was crying, I was laughing, I had to phone all my people, all my my mom. I had to just like, and to be honest, I wasn't really telling a huge amount of people because in the Jewish religion, you don't generally tell until at least three months or some people hold that until you feel movement. But I had my people that I couldn't have done it without them and I felt that it was okay for me to discuss it with them. So I had my little crew and I phoned all of them and we spoke. And I remember just like sitting in this really horrible meeting room because it was the only one that was available without booking, sobbing my eyes out and making my phone calls to tell my friends and my family. That's such a happy moment. And I'm assuming that it wasn't a cheap process. I'm assuming that it was every failed IVF was a lot of money down the drain and I mean, it was just probably a very, very sinking feeling for many reasons, right? Yeah. Put in all your hope into this. I so what I'm hearing here, yeah, that what got you through uh, along your faith, what I'm seeing here is that you had your why. You had this vision. The vision held you through. So having a why is so huge. If you know why you're doing something, it, it gives you all the energy to do it, to make yeah. it happen at, at any cost. Listen, I I do think that, so in South Africa, there are also like organizations that will help you if the finances are too much. But I agree with you. I think the why becomes the most important thing for a lot of decisions because it kind of helps you filter through all the disappointment or the sadness or the difficulties to like see this prize. And I think that's the most important thing is to be able to see yourself in a different situation and make the steps to get there. I think it's like grit and determination and passion all rolled up together to help you to see further than the next step, but to see the big picture. And I think, yeah, I think that's what kind of helped me get through it. Also, I think it's a conscious choice of who you surround yourself with, of who you speak to, whose advice you take, whose advice you ignore. And I think those are things that make people who they are. And I think it's also things that you can train your brain to do things differently, to see that like broader, to have that broader understanding and that broader view of what you want. I'm a little scared to ask this question, but it's kind of burning in Mm -hmm. my mind. I don't know. Were there people that were not accepting of your choice? No one that mattered. And I'm going to say that like very like, honestly, I'm an individual person. I don't generally follow the norm. Having a baby on your own is not the usual trajectory for a Jewish traditional woman. But I don't care about that. As long as I feel comfortable with my decision and I know that I'm not doing anything halakhically wrong, hurtful, that where somebody's going to be hurt or damaged or whatever, I'm happy with my decisions. So those are the people that I surround myself with. And I think that's the difference. It's not just a random person. There were a couple of random people who were like naysayers and I I chose not to care what they said or how they reacted. And I also knew that I had my inner circle of people who would like, even if I wasn't there, who would like jump to my defense and be like, no, this is the right thing for her to be doing. 
this is what she needs to do for herself. And I felt very confident in my choice and my decision. You know, I think that's why I love you so much, Haley. I'm very attracted to people that know who they are and are strong in who they are. And it, that is such an incredible trait for a leader, for someone that leads and lives their life with a lot of confidence. And this is who I am. Like, take it or leave it. You do your thing. And I think that's what makes you such a powerful Jewish woman. You're such a role model to so many others. You live your life. You live your truth. You're very God-centered. You know, your whole world, it's a spiritual world, but you have your way of doing your Judaism, how you're raising your child, how you're living your life. And you're not waiting for anyone to say you're good. You know you're good. You have that core, that center. And it's just a very powerful thing to see and observe as an outsider watching you in the world. Like you just have so much confidence and it's beautiful. Confidence is beauty, in my opinion. Thank you. Yes, I think I'm very, um, I know who I am. I know what I want. I know what's acceptable for me as a human being, for my family, what's important, what I can throw by the wayside. And you're right, my life does revolve around being part of a Jewish community by keeping a fully kosher home. That's what I want my daughter to see. And I think now that I have my child, there are certain things that I want her to learn and take on from me. So I want her to know what it means to be a Jewish woman in the world, in a non-observant world, but in a traditional world. And I think that was one of our biggest, or my biggest challenge coming to Portland from South Africa, where you are Jewish and you are Jewish this way. And I think that's been a huge culture shock for me coming to the States where it's really not like that. And I had to figure out how I could make sure that still living my truth and living my life, I could still keep sharing those traditions with my child and making them part of our life. Well, you're doing such a good job. I look at your daughter, I, I, you know, seeing you come, let's say on Yom Kippur, even though very few people came to, to services this year because of COVID, you were there with your daughter, with your masks and your daughter is such a joy and she's such a love and so excited to listen to the shofar blow at the end of the day. And I just, there's so much light in her and you're doing such a great job instilling your love, your passion for Judaism into that next generation. Like you're doing it. And some of the stories that you've shared with me about your daughter, they just blow me away. They bring me to tears. I've shared it with my husband. I'm like, God, you have to understand like this girl, she's five years old, the special girl, Misha. She is so spiritually connected. The way that you've described how she stands at the Shabbat candles and cries and begs and talks to God, like as if God is her best friend, like she'll pray for, you know, your grandmother that passed please God, give her the red Smarties. It's her favorite color. Just give her the Smarties up in heaven. Like, you know, things that she's a child, but the messages that you've given her and how you've raised her with so much love and understanding that God is there. He's holding you. He's completely with you. I can't wait to see how far she goes in her life. So I think this, I think just talking to who I am, you you need Hashem to make sense of certain situations so then it makes sense for me to instill that with her so I think my boba my boba passed a little over a year ago she was 97 years old she was a very important part of my life and she was a very important part of Misha's life and I think the biggest decision that we made when we moved to Portland was that we'd be leaving my boba and 
in that moment, I had to make a decision knowing that it's very difficult to leave South Africa. I had to take this opportunity for my child. And I think that I had to make sense of it for her when she passed because none of us were handling it. None of us were coping with this fact that she was no longer on this earth with us. So I think the fact that the way that we had to, knowing that Misha was four then, I had to give her some kind of sense of comfort and control, and not in a scary way, because I didn't want her to be anxious about it or too upset about it. And I needed to give her like that whole way. So like I started by saying, Boba's with Hashem and he's looking after her and you can talk to him and you can talk to Boba and you can do whatever you need to do. And she's just taken that and I kind of run with it. And randomly, like just out of the blue, she'll be like, she'll like talk to my Boba. She'll talk to Hashem about what my Boba's doing. It's very sweet to see and to like watch. And it sometimes it like shocks me. I'm like, Oof. but mostly it's just like very comforting. Wow. Wow. So beautiful. Do you have any fears or concerns for raising your daughter on your own, being that she's never going to know who her father, like who the donor is? I mean, have you ever had that conversation with her? You know, it's very strange. Misha has never, ever asked about her father. And I know that that day will come and I'm starting to prep on what I'll tell her. I think I once read a great book. I can't even remember what it was. And it said, for a child to flourish, they need love unconditional love, where it comes from, doesn't matter as long as she is feels completely grounded and supported and loved. And in South Africa, I surrounded myself, obviously, with my group of friends who are like her family, like my friends call her their extra daughter, the kids call them siblings. We like were in each other's homes and lives 24-7. And that was important for me, for my family to be very involved so that she always sees like man figures and people who I'm comfortable with and being around people who just like give her that like sense of self and she's never ever asked she has however asked why she doesn't have a dog but she's never asked why she doesn't have a father and I think it was the right choice for us for my mother to be very involved and it's just the fact that we give her a lot of support it's hard this four and five is a very challenging age but you know we're trying to like a million gazillion why why this and why that and you're right they have to you see their wheels turning in their head I remember you told me that she said well what happens if you get COVID and what happens if Nana if grandma gets COVID and who am I going to go to who's going to pick me up from school and you had to like walk her through and you know if if this friend can't you know Mrs. Levy will pick you up and she's like oh okay you know She needs to know. I think COVID's been very crazy for these kids. Well, for everyone. Yeah. And they've just been lots of like things that she, she does. She asks a lot of why. She asks a lot of what. She says a lot of no and her way, my way. No, no, no. But I think it's fine. I think we're all very excited about our next chapter, which is making Aliyah. And I think that is going to be a really good move for us as a family. I think to be yeah, surrounded by people, by our family, to be surrounded. Misha's got 13 first cousins in Israel who she doesn't really know. And I think that's going to be very important for her as a human being to like solidify her place in the world and her people, as she calls them. 
Yeah. I'm so excited for you. Well, thank you for sharing just a bit of your story. I know that there are so many more chapters to the story that we didn't get a chance to really share. I I just want to, maybe you could, we'll end with this one story. I think it was, you shared with me a while ago that when you had your daughter, you had this very strong need to take her to the Western Wall. Yes. Could you share that just as an ending story? Because I felt that was so powerful. So with my brother being in Israel and um, the rest of my family, my mom and I used to go visit my brother and his wife and my nieces and nephews, and we used to go pretty often. And then when I had Misha, I felt that I needed to take her to introduce her to my family. And we were in Israel in the December of 2015, so like five years ago, and things were not so good in Israel at the time. There was a lot of terrorist attacks and bombings and... Abbings and car ramming. That was yeah. the year. I remember yeah. that very well. Like for my brother to say to us, you guys cannot stay in Yerushalayim. You need to stay in Tel Aviv. We never stayed in Ramat Bay Chemish where he lived. It was just a bit too from for us. So we generally used to stay in Yerushalayim and we used to catch the bus or the train to my brother every day and see him and see the kids and do outings and everything like that. But that year he said, you can't, you cannot go. And you need to stay in Tel Aviv because it's safer. And so we said, okay. And we stayed in Tel Aviv and it was really great. And we didn't go for very long. I think we went for 10 days. And the day we got there, I was like, okay, I need to go with Misha to the, to the wall. And they're like, no, you can't go to the wall. The old city is basically closed. And I was like, there's no ways that I am coming to Israel and not taking my child to the wall. How old was she at the time? Four months. Wow. So she was in a stroller. It was pretty cold in December. She was all bundled up. And I wouldn't let go of that. Like my brother's wife was like, no, you can't go and you can't go. And then maybe you should go and leave her with us and whatever. And in the end of it, I was like, no, we are going. We are going. And that is that. And we had to get like this taxi guy who had a pass, a permit to drive into the old city. We literally walked into the old city. And for people who have been to the old city, it's this most magical spiritual place. Like you walk in and you just like feel it. And it was like, it was terrible. It was like a ghost town. There was nobody there. And they literally gave me, I think, 10 minutes or eight minutes. And I literally, my brother was walking on the one side of the main side. I was walking with my mom and pushing the stroller to the wall, like, so we could like see each other, not let go of seeing each other. We like literally went to the wall, said a very quick brocha, put our little letter in and literally ran out of the old city. But for me, that was one of the most important things for me to do. It was the most important thing for me to do while I was in Israel for her first trip. And I think it was something that I just wanted to do. Like, I think that's what Jewish people do. They show Hashem what he's helped them do. Mm-hmm. And I think I needed to do it at that place. To this day, a lot of people say it was unnecessary. But for me, it was something that was like super necessary just to go and show and be and do what I need to do, regardless of thinking of what could happen. So beautiful. I guess it's no surprise that your daughter is who she is. Mm. This is like in her mother's milk, the faith, the love of Hashem, the gratitude, 
all of that. It, you're a very strong, powerful woman, Haley. I'm going to miss you when you leave, you know, our little bubble over here. But I'm just so excited to see where you go from here on. And you have such a beautiful gift to give the world. And I think you should continue sharing your story and uh, helping other people along their journeys. I know that this is something that many women struggle with. And yeah. I think that the stigmas really hold them back from making choices that could really change their life and benefit them. And what, just what I was going to say is I think for me, stigmas are stigmas, but if you are confident in your decision and it's not going to hurt anybody, like I've got like this very big thing, you can't go around like killing people because you want to kill people, like you can't do that. But if it's not going to have much bearing on other people's lives, except a stigma or the way someone perceives something, and you are comfortable with your decision, you should be strong enough to go ahead and live your dream. Because for me, this was a dream. I don't think I'd be the same person if I didn't push forward with this. That's so beautiful. Just for any of our listeners that may not know what the word halachically is, you've used that word a few times. It's according to Jewish law, like halacha, right? Actually, the root of halacha is to walk. It's the path. So the path of Judaism, which it really guides your life. It really does. You could call yourself, you know, you say, I'm unobservant. I don't, you know, I don't keep this. I don't keep that. I'm a traditional Jew. Whatever you want to call yourself, what guides you, your inner compass is your Judaism. It's your Jewish values. And I find that so powerful to be guided. We all need a guide. We all need like a roadmap of some sort because it's pretty dark and murky out there and we have so many questions. So you have a little bit of a direction, you know where you're going. And that I think just sums up your whole story. Once you had that, you had your way, you knew you're okay. You were able to move forward and make this dream happen. So I bless you and I bless all of our listeners that in all different ways, all different details in our lives, we should find our way. We should find the way and move forward in it with confidence and assurance that we're okay. Hashem is with us. God is with us and we're going to be okay. Yes. Thank you so much, Haley. Thank Thanks for having me on. I look forward to talking again. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Have a Bye. wonderful day. Thank you for listening. We value that you are a part of our community. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes and to learn more about the work that we do at Inspired Jewish Women. Please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website at www.inspiredjewishwomen.com. Notice that we use the word woman and not woman in plural because Jewish women are most powerful when we bond together and we together can create amazing positive changes in the world. Bye for now. Hope to see you again soon so we could continue this conversation.